always like those nachos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you are not here for the fucking food. You are here for me to enlighten you, to edify you, to send you off into the now not-so-unknown future. So come along with me. How to fake like you are nice and caring. No, I, I don't want a microphone. Now, this, <clears throat> this is a quite an important chapter, as you will see. But let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get right down to it, boys. Let's get right down to it. Men are shit. What? Men are shit. Well, isn't that what they say? Isn't that what, because we do bad things, don't we? We do horrible, heinous, heinous, terrible things, things that no woman would ever do. No, women, they don't lie. No, women don't cheat. Women don't manipulate us. But you see what I'm getting at? Oh, yeah, you see what I'm getting at? You see what society does? Boy, little boys, it's... Yeah, we are taught to apologize. I am sorry. I'm so sorry, baby. I am so sorry. What is it that? What is it? Huh? We need. Is it their their pussies? Their uh, love? Yeah, mommy wouldn't let me play soccer, and daddy, oh, he hit me. So that's that's who I am. That's that's why I do what I do. <laughs> I can bullshit. I will not apologize for who I am. I will not apologize for what I need. I will not apologize for what I want. Okay. Now go to your blue booklets right now. I want you to turn to page 18 in your blue booklets. Fucking bullshit! I want you to go to your white, your white books. That's what I want you to go to. Go to 23 in your white books. How to fake like you are a nice and caring person.
It's time for another edition of everyone's favorite cinema show based on film. It's the Cinema 9 Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. We got three lovely gentlemen here to talk business. We're here to talk about a big movie from 1999 as the focus of our show, among the dalliance of other little tidbits. But first, let's introduce everybody. I'm Michael Gobier, and then, of course, there's Travis Roy. How's it going? Hey, everybody. How you doing? Coming to you from Philadelphia. Live! Motown Philly's back again. Uh, then we've got, uh, Eric Brandstrom. Eric, how is it going? Eric, are you okay? Good afternoon from beautiful Griffith, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I've heard it's very lovely. We are the Cinema 9 Podcast. You can find us on uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook and Spotify and all, I believe, all podcasting formats. iTunes. Cinema 9, the number 9. And of course, you can email us, cinema9pod at protonmail.com. We got our first email today, so we're very excited. We're going to share that with you at the end of the show. We're going to talk about popcorn trash slash guilty pleasures. <laughs> movies you just can't let go. We're going to talk about our main course, which is 1999's Paul Thomas Anderson's classic or maybe not, Magnolia. And then we're going to wrap it up with uh, quarantine watches and our emails. So, Travis, uh, how have you been holding up during quarantine? Give us your kind of opening salvo. Uh, I mean, my feelings are that I'm, I've been watching a lot of movies. That's uh, that's largely what I've been doing. I'm teaching a class online now. But uh, other than that, it's it's been a lot of really important movie watching. I assume, Eric, same thing? Or have you been really focusing on your studies? No, I mean, I'm doing uh, Zoom remote learning like six hours a day. So other than that, watching a lot of Columbo, cooking a lot of delicious meals here. Ooh, Columbo. Peter Falk, uh, under or overrated, Eric? Way underrated. A national treasure in his own right. Travis? Um, I like I like Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Columbo, Columbo makes me depressed because it reminds me of being at like my dad's house on the weekends in like the eighties when there was nothing cool going on. Mm. It, it just kind of like gives me this bow bumped uh, out vibe. That's how I feel about Green Acres. Exactly. Yeah. There's always a show that was on in the eighties growing <laughs> up where like nothing fun was happening, but you're somebody was watching it, probably someone older. But that's a Columbo being a Wheel of Fortune, like for some reason, it was always on in the eighties. And that goddamn smirk on Pat Sajak's face. I'm so Can't smart. over it. <laughs> oh, Pat Sajak. What could have been? He could have been a great talk show host. But he blew was. It. He did blow it. He seems right, like so a asshole. <laughs> he, seems, he seems like a sweet man. Are you kidding me? No, I think he seems like an asshole. Oh, interesting. Isn't it fascinating how we all view people differently? That's what I love about society. It's amazing. It's so amazing. Let's talk then about, guys, there are movies that you, you've you been harboring. You may be <laughs> proud to admit that you watch even, but some people, they call them guilty pleasures because they're a terrible films, but you love watching them. They bring you comfort. They bring you peace. <laughs> they bring you laughs. Who knows? But let's start. You know, Travis, is there a guilty pleasure or maybe something that's considered kind of trashy that you really enjoy? I mean, of course, um, like, like you, I, I don't believe in the idea of, of a guilty pleasure. I'll, I'll shout it from the mountaintops, but there's certainly some movies uh, that I love that people raise their eyebrows at. Uh, and, and then also there's movies that like, you know, that are kind of popcorn. I don't know if they're popcorn trash, but they're certainly like, you know, 
not intended for a lot of deep thought. Like for me, I, I like I like both the Jumanji movies. I think that they're a lot of fun. Um, I like pretty much most movies with The Rock, if I'm going to be honest with you, so long as there's no cars involved. <laughs> you know, um, I'm also, you know, since we're going to be talking some about Tom Cruise, I mean, I like, I like Jack Reacher. I like the Jack Reacher movies. I like even like Night and Day, pretty much any Tom Cruise movie I'm going to be probably pretty happy with. Um, yes, I said Night and Day. But, but you guys both know, and anyone that is listening to the podcast, that knows me probably knows that my number one guilty pleasure, quote unquote, is Mordecai. I uh, I love Mordecai with a burning passion. It's it's occurred to me recently that it's achieved the special, like the very special status of being one of those movies, like as good as it gets, where I've watched the beginning so many times before I fall asleep that like I've seen the beginning like 50 million times, seen the end like 10 times maybe. Uh, but that movie just this cracks me up like no other. I just, it's, it's so funny and it's so comforting. And, uh, and I just think that like Johnny Depp is at, his, at the top of his game there in that movie. It's a real shame it came out when everyone was temporarily against him. I think that uh, it really deserved many sequels and, and that kind of stuff. But instead, it, I think it just, you know, people saw the preview and went like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> many, <laughs> this, many this sequels. <laughs> I, there should have been. In an alternate universe, there's like four or five Mordecai movies. That I, and I love every one of them. Wow. Yeah, I know about your Mordecai passion. I've sat and watched Mordecai with you, so I've had the experience. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. It you know, wasn't that bad. Eric, what about you? What is something that really stands out uh, for you? I know you take guilty pleasures a little more seriously because you are very, you're very critical. You're, very, uh, you're the first person to criticize yourself. But give me something that you are going to reluctantly admit that you enjoy. Flash dance. Whoa! <laughs> When I sat down to write this list, the first three I came up with were like fucking like dance movies. And I'm like, <laughs> I just step back and be like, what the hell's going on here? Because I just trashed Footloose last week. You know, uh, the first ones that popped up were Flashdance, Dirty Dancing, and Saturday Night Fever. Like, pretty dumb movies, but like, I, I'd, I'd, I'd watch them all if they were on right now. I can't explain what the hell's going on. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because it's like... Uh, underdog type movies where like the competition's coming up and they gotta you know look within themselves to find the strength to 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 win the dance competition whatever but uh you know anytime there's a dance competition in a film uh for some reason i'm a fan of it i can't explain it (laughs) wow what the hell's the name of that movie i'm blanking out right now talking about save the last dance no wait what movie the camp movie the classic that spawned like four sequels and prequels on netflix David Lane, Mike Showalter, the whole state crew. Oh, Wet Hot American American Summer. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name right now. I was totally spacing out. That's Uh, the movie. That's what you made me think of when the baseball team is waiting for them to show up, the rival camp. (laughs) We're going to win today. And then they say, well, it's all pretty much well and been and done, right? This is well-worn territory. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) But everybody does love a good underdog story. Don't you, Travis? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for me, uh, yeah, yeah what do you mind. think, Mike? Uh, Flashdance, I've never seen it, so I just know the exploitations of it. I can understand the jokes about it without ever seeing it. And for me, I have to say, my stup- it's a stupid movie. It's called Strange Wilderness. Travis has heard me talk about it before. <laughs> yeah. It's oh so dumb. God. It's so dumb. I've probably seen it a hundred times, maybe more. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a few years, but there was a period there. Every night going to bed, I would just, I'd order my trash. I was fat as hell. I'd come home order my wings and my pizza and my Coke and eat the whole thing and watch Strange Wilderness and fall asleep 
with the laptop right next to my face on the bed. Sounds very comforting. Every is night. Is that Steve Zahn vehicle? That is yeah. the one. It's a Happy oh Madison production, which has Jonah Hill, and uh, it has Farva, the guy who plays Farva from Super Troopers in it. So it Matthew Lillard in that one? I feel like Matthew Lillard. No, no Lillard? He, it does seem like he would be, but he's not. It's yeah. Steve Zahn, Jonah Hill, Justin Long. There's some like legitimate comedy Justin and Long. actors in this movie, and it's just a awful film, which has <laughs> Kevin Nealon in it. Uh, Jeff, uh, oh, God, what's wrong with me today? Jeff, what's his face from Kirby Enthusiasm in it, too? Jeff Garland. Yeah, so I, it's got some people in it, <laughs> but it's just like this. They just got together and hey, fucking Ernest Borgnine's in it. Ernest <laughs> Borgnine's in it. Academy Award winning Ernest. Yes, Borgnine. he's he's not just in it for five seconds. He's got like fifteen minutes of the movie he's in. It's insane. So is it's this just pre or post basketball. This is way post. This is two thousand eight. So this is <laughs> okay, like it's way post. This is trash. It's pure is trash. This, but is this pre or post without a paddle? <laughs> I think, I think I it's after without a pedal, yeah. <laughs> it's garbage. Yeah. These, this is the worst movie of all three that were mentioned. Mordecai is actually not bad, and uh, Flashdance has been like a reputable classic in a sense, but there yeah. is no redeeming Strange Wilderness. It's <laughs> so that's it. We we got some trash in our uh, in our repertoire. Anybody else? Did did anyone else have another movie they wanted to share that uh, they're willing to admit, or is that pretty much all we got? I really like that romantic comedy, Someone Like You. <laughs> <laughs> You Jeffin. <laughs> you I mean, like five times. <laughs> Can't explain uh, it. I mean, I, again, like I, I struggle to think of stuff that like I'm actually ashamed of, or that people think I should be ashamed of. Like I'm a huge uh, "While You Were Sleeping" fan. Uh, love that oh, movie. I, I've seen it. I watch it like every year. But uh, I saw I that in the theater. Know. That's a great movie, but I don't know if it's something that's like a guilty pleasure. Or not. I don't know if I am I supposed to be ashamed of that movie. I don't know. I like it. Uh, no, I'm with you. It, me and Travis are similar. We, you know, I, I like a movie, I like a movie. I don't care. Uh, movies are supposed to be enjoyed. So there's, to me, and this may be going off the rails a bit, but I feel like shame and liking things comes from like religion and almost an oppressive kind of connection. I, I hate, I don't want to be oppressed for something I like, you know? So if I like something that sucks, so be it. You don't have to like it, but I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> All right. If you have something you really enjoy, but you're ashamed to admit, we're not going to oppress you. We're going to welcome you in. Hit us up at Cinema9Pod. Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. That's the number nine. Don't forget Or that. we're on the Facebook. Or we're on the Facebook. We're available. We're on most of your social media platforms. Give us your goodies. Tell us what you really, really like and you feel like shit for saying. It's okay to admit it. <laughs> Popcorn trash. We don't judge you. Yeah. I mean, Tony Scott, the master of popcorn trash, as we talked about last week. If you got a Tony Scott that you love, like if you really enjoy Domino, come in, you know, just be honest about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't I didn't say like Twister and like Last Action Hero, which are like, I don't yeah. know if those are considered like legitimately good films. I, you know, I just I just love watch. I could watch them over and over again. Twister's definitely not considered a good film. No way. Well, Last really? Action Hero we could talk about, but Twister, hell, I love it. Yeah, it got ripped though when it came out. People hated it, or it was well, it was not well received. But it stood up over time, though. Absolutely, in fact, it was meta before like all the meta shit for sure. Yeah, and the more that the uh, comic book movies have taken over our our uh, realm of film, it's become more, <laughs> I think, prevalent. 
Certainly among the more cerebral of the Arnold Schwarzenegger action films of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people were expecting at the time, but uh, Twister, <laughs> Twister's trash. I, we all, Eric, Travis, Twister, garbage? I have never deemed to watch that movie. Wow. I'm sorry to say that even though it has the great Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, <laughs> I've never, I've never, I, I just never sat down and watched Greenage. it. Like, no thanks. Hey, he's I, so good in it. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure he is. In that role that <laughs> had like eight lines or whatever. I remember when it came out, uh, my uncle had it on Laserdisc, and that's how I saw it for the first <laughs> time. And he had this massive surround sound system in his basement, and it was this whole experience. And I'm like, this movie is terrible. You're throwing, <laughs> you're throwing every bell and whistle at me with super sound effects and a giant television and clarity for 1997 after the movie came out on <laughs> Laserdisc. And I was not impressed. Bill Paxton at one point literally – before he's about to, uh, yes, drive into a house, instead of like screaming like, holy shit, uh, hold on, we're going to die. He yells out, we're going in. <laughs> and it's really stupid. <laughs> oh, God rest you. Uh, rest in power, Bill Paxton. You were a great man. That was you very gentleman. Yes. All right, well, let's get to our main event, folks. Ding, ding, ding. This bout is scheduled for one fall. It is a showdown. It's 1999's. Magnolia. This fucking lie. Oh. So fucking hard. So long. Life ain't short, it's long. It's long, god damn it. God damn. A film that is considered by some to be one of his best. Paul Thomas Anderson's the director. Let's lay this out. PTA, who at the time had just come off Boogie Nights, was a hugely mm -hmm. successful film, really got PTA's name out there. And now Magnolia was this epic, epic movie that's over three hours long. He took on this huge script. He wrote it all. He directed the whole thing. He brought back a lot of his Boogie Nights actors. Travis, why don't you open up your... Magnolia, can you remember what it was like? Let's talk about when it came out, 99, and when you eventually saw it. Do you remember what your reactions were to it? So, I mean, I remember I saw it in theaters. I don't remember the exact experience, but I know I saw it in theaters. Um, and it definitely was one of those movies. It was, it was easily amongst the movies that were in the top. You know, every year there's like three or four that you're like, this is, this is going to be an Academy Award contender kind of thing. Uh, and it was easily one of those like as soon as you saw it um even even like go before i saw it you know i mean i was uh you know knowing who was behind it and seeing the cast people were justifiably pretty excited um so when it came out um and i did see it uh i was pretty much wrapped up in it and, it, and, and you use the word epic there i feel like that's a, i mean it really is an epic uh like a sprawling epic the way that like uh, so many you know other classic films would be but it's just about such like uh, everyday things. It's really just a genius of a, a, a beautiful movie that, um, you know, I watched it over and over and over again and then, uh, and then just stopped for like a decade. So it was fun to come back to it. How about you, Eric? Uh, I mean, 1999. I mean, we could do a whole episode on the, the uh, milestone films that came out that year. You were just getting every weekend, a, a, just a classic would hit theaters. All right. So go down the list. And the uh, eyes wide shut, and uh, 
uh, every weekend. Okay. Green Mile. Uh, yeah, you know the Green Mile, American, American Beauty. Beauty. But Fight that was Club. milestone year, and you know I, I can respect Boogie Nights, but like I wasn't I wasn't blown away from it. He was like Scorsese light to me, uh, even after Boogie Nights. But when Magnolia came out, I was like, all right, this guy is a is a is a heavy hitter. All right, and. I have a feeling it's because of my age, because that Magnolia came out when I was kind of adult now. I'm getting, I got my own life to worry about, and I've got my own issues, and it was just hitting me on all cylinders. So I was fired up um, back in the day when this came out. So we'll have to see if this most recent viewing, my first in about 10 years, was uh, was bringing me back to 99 as far as my uh, opinion's concerned. So interested to hear what you guys think. Yeah, what do you think, Mike? Well, so the question is this. What we're focusing on here is, does it hold up? Magnolia, 1999, does it hold up in 2020? For me, my original experience, I remember seeing it on DVD. I did not see it in the theater, even though I love Boogie Nights. I, I was a real mess in 1999. I, I don't know if I even <laughs> went to the theater once that year. Although I did see The Matrix, I think. Yeah. That's the Matrix that came out. That's another one. But... Um, at any point, I finally saw Magnolia on DVD maybe a year, year and a half later. I mean, back then, DVDs actually took more time to still come out as well. And I saw it in an apartment, and I loved it. I was just in – I rented it, and I was engrossed in it. And I must have watched it a couple of times while I had the rental. You know, I think I had a five-day rental or whatever it was back then in the bizarre world of rentals. <laughs> It was incredible. I, I was just blown away by the performance. I thought Tom Cruise was um, giving the performance of, a at that time, what was considered a pretty great career in the making. And everybody else just blew me away with their performances and the structure and the pacing. For a, a long movie, I felt like it moved along quite well. So I remember loving it then, and I continually have watched this movie ever since, on and off, till this day. So... That's where I stand on this movie. But now the question of does it hold up is what we're trying to focus on. Now, there are many layers to this film, and it could get really complex. So I thought we would try to maybe focus on some topics. And one of the first topics I wanted to talk about was the intro. So the intro mm. is totally – it doesn't have anything to do with the plot of the film. I mean, it could be. You could make an argument no. that it does, but – I would be curious. I just want to know what you guys think about the intro and how it relates to the movie, and maybe you can help people understand it. Travis, uh, do you think you can help us there? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I do know that, like, as many times as I've seen this movie, it is jarring every time it starts. to be like, oh, yeah, fuck, we're, like, in the 1880s or something for some <laughs> reason. Like, why is this? Okay. Um, I'm always just like, what is this? And But um, so I think that what's, uh, what's going on with these initial stories, these three stories – um, the the Greenberry Hill story, um, the uh, what's his, what's the Pat Oswalt character's name, Damien or Darian, whatever the casino story, uh, and then the, the 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 jumper story. All three of these stories are supposed to tell us, like, hey, random weird coincidences happen. Like this kind of stuff can actually happen. Our lives are connected in these ways, and like unbelievable things have happened throughout history. So like, I'm going to tell you a story now. It's not even as outrageous as all, as all these things that are, are in these three separate stories that I'm going to use to open my, my movie with. Um, so just kind of, just, you know, like, so don't be too critical and believe that this kind of stuff could happen. But the amazing thing to me about it is that not one of those stories is accurate. None of those, none of those things happen. None of those stories are real. 
Really? Really. Not not one of them. The um, the Greenberry Hill thing is from like 1660 or something, not the 1800s, and uh, has been roundly disproven. Um, the uh, the Del Mar, whatever, the casino one, again, like that's that's one that started off as a joke and became like urban legend and became believed. And then the um, the one with the psychiatrist is telling the the anecdote about the kid jumping off the roof that that actually happened the psychiatrist told that story but he was telling it as like an allegory he it was like a story he wasn't tell, saying like a, this wasn't it wasn't presented as, as reality as actual fact wow okay see i had no idea about that you just gave me great insight i i, I do think that it's funny that I, I didn't know if the stories were trying to come off as legitimate they are told in a way where you feel like oh this seems like maybe it was documented because you have ricky J as the narrator and this is the Oof. same guy. It was great. I love Ricky J. Same guy, it. though, who uh, <laughs> in Boogie Nights is giving uh, – he's, he's with Bill Macy in the driveway, and they're talking about you know, <laughs> life's got an asthma cock. Yeah. Illustrious <laughs> career. <laughs> yes, right. And uh, I'm just, I think of that every time. But uh, Eric, what about you? What about, the, uh, what about the opening of this film that just comes right at you with these stories? Do you think there's a connection with this, or is it just something to let you know, hey, as Travis said, these things happen? The main point of the, the the prologue is, yeah, strange things happen all the time. Uh, life has coincidences. There's random acts. Sometimes they're interconnected. Sometimes they change us, help us. Uh, unfortunately, in this, for me, that's a, a promise that's not delivered upon. It, it, when I watch the opening, I'm like, wow, he's gonna. This is all gonna pay off in the end. They're all. It's all, all this coincidence is gonna come together. Uh, it, it doesn't. Uh, there's similar <laughs> themes. Characters like meet each other. Uh, inconsequential. In, what's the word I'm looking for? Inconsequential. Incidentally, uh, in some circumstances. For me, the importance of that prologue is just to show how outrageous what it was that they gave so much money and creative <laughs> freedom to a 29-year-old filmmaker. Um, and final cut. Yeah, and final cut. So. That's the big lesson here. Handing a final cut and like millions of dollars over to a 29-year-old cokehead, as <laughs> creative and uh, talented as he was, may have been a mistake on the part of uh, Mike DeLuca at New Line Cinema. But it's a lot of fun. It's technical prowess is mind-blowing. But, you know, I, I don't think there's much of a point to it. And they're all urban legends. I think that last one is like a, like a forensic hypothetical that's yeah. used in like FBI classes or something. But right. Well made and fun to watch, but pointless. <laughs> I I I I, I, don't, I kind of do agree. I think the movie would actually be stronger without without that intro. Okay, I I think that's really interesting. I, I hadn't considered. I just kind of enjoy it for what it is. I think they're trying to set a tone, and yeah. doesn't need to be set necessarily because without it, I agree. If the movie opened, hey, cloudy, eighty-two, partly sunny. I would just jive in in situation. That'd be fine for me. However, that is not the case. So the film has so many other layers to it that we'll get to the frogs. We'll get to the frogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I will say that um, the opening at least affords us more opportunity to listen to the dulcet tones of Ricky Jay, and I have no complaints about that. Rest in peace. Absolutely. I'm a thumbs up to that completely. Children. Now, children are exploited or children have a lot of bad times mm. either in this film or they had it previously coming, you know, off screen or previous, you know, there's a woman who's been pretty obviously, you know, molested by Jimmy Claudia. Gator. 
Yeah. Without Claudio is molested by Jimmy Gator, Apple. played by the great Philip Baker Hall. I love Philip Baker yeah. Hall. Who was uh, uh, one of PTA's favorites. He was in his first film, Hard Eight. And Sydney. he was like, Sydney, that's right. That's right. I love that movie. Um, but I'm wondering, what did you guys, what, what is he trying to tell us other than, hey, let's not be mean to children. Let's take care of our kids. Let's not put them in Hollywood. Dad, you need to be nicer to me. Go to bed. You have to be nicer to me, Dad. Travis, what was your thought process, or how did you view how children were presented in this film? Well, so clearly, like, yeah, like, uh, I mean, that's, 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 I, I, I see that theme there, and I wouldn't argue against it because um, it's, there's clearly a lot about trauma and children and stuff in there. Uh, but what stuck out to me more wasn't um, so much about the, the you know, children's lives being disrupted, but lives in general being disrupted. Um, and more so than anything, I kept on thinking of, you know, the, you know, there's that scene at the end of the movie where, where they zoom in on the, uh, on the picture and you can see, but it really happened, right? That little line. And, and but what that makes me think, what the whole movie makes me think of is, is the tagline of a different movie from that year, which was American Beauty, which is look closer. The whole movie uh, in uh, like in, um, Magnolia throughout the whole thing you're presented with like this character or this situation where you think you get a, you think you've got a good sense of of like okay so think about the movie starts think of the, the Jimmy we're talk, speaking of Jimmy Gator and Claudia like you are immediately sympathetic with Jimmy Gator because like why is this why is his own daughter screaming at him why does she hate him so why won't she give him a chance and he's so befuddled and he's trying so hard but like you look closer and he's a fucking devil he's a terrible person he's lucky that she doesn't just gouge his eyes out the second he steps into her building um, or like Julianne Moore's character, like fighting off like the fucking guy, uh, pharmacy guy, like trying to like come at her with judgments, like as if he has any clue what's going on. But if he looked closer, he'd know that this is a woman who, as she says, is surrounded by death. I'm sick. I have sickness all around me, and you fucking ask me my life. What's wrong? I'm using death in your bed, in your house. Where's your fucking decency? And then I'm asking fucking questions. What's Wrong! Suck my dick! That's what's wrong in you! You fucking call me lady! Shame on you! Shame on you! Shame on both of you! So to me, it's not necessarily, like, I didn't see that theme of children so much as I just saw, like, hey, look deeper into the trauma and stuff that motivates people and determines their life sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, you're right too. We're both, neither of us are oh, yeah, subjective. not observing this correctly. I mean, you got the quiz kid, Donnie Smith, and his life was hell because as a child, he got taken advantage of. And then obviously what happened to Claudia? And then you got, uh, he's got to go, the kid's got to go to the bathroom. I, I, I just want to go to the bathroom, Jimmy. What's up with that? <laughs> so, <laughs> kids everywhere are having a real hard time. But Eric, is this something you focused on or do you kind of agree with Travis? It's more just about everybody's pain and trauma. Everybody. Wait, this movie's about shitty fathers. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this is like a total Spielberg ripoff, isn't it? Spielberg loves his daddy issues. I never really, that's another thing about the, the time, the timing when you first see movies like this is everything. 
Because in 99, I never really picked up that this is a this is pretty much a movie about shitty fathers or the sins yeah, of the yeah. father at the very least. Yeah. For me, it was just about like, you know, lost love and yearning and regret and reconciliation. But the father issues are so heavy handed here. And for the most part, they worked. Uh, this particular viewing, I mean, I've always not liked the Stanley how do what do kids know storyline and I've, i mean i still fucking hate jimmy gator he's like i cannot stand even watching his scenes because i hate this character so much <laughs> um as beautifully as, as it's played by philip baker hall but right. um one thing that stood out was I, w- I was always like why is this stanley character in the movie it takes up so much time what is the point of this kid yeah he pees and like his dad is mean to him but uh this recent viewing let me know that this is the only character that we're seeing the trauma actually happening to at the present time. Okay. Everyone else has already been affected by their trauma and they're looking back and trying to reconcile and, and find some sort of redemption as a result of this trauma. But uh, you know, watching it through the lens of someone who's going through this is, is very interesting for me. Uh, That's all I have to say about the, the father aspect, but. Some storylines handle it well. Some some of them don't, in my opinion. We can talk about that when we get into character. The greater point, though, is the kids versus adults. That's all, I think everything we've just <laughs> said here is is well put in the, having the show being a part of the film, having the what do kids know with Luis Guzman and that chubby kid. <laughs> He's called him. They're going head to head. They bring some comedy to it, too. It is yeah. funny. I did laugh a few times with that kid's like, getting in tiffs with Luis Guzman on the show set. So I think it, they probably left, he probably left that in because he thought it was funny, but it also presents this. How, how, how much of a difference is there sometimes between adults and kids, right? You know, we're supposed to be yeah. mature and grown up, but I think the show is trying to maybe put that in focus as well. What do you think of that, Travis? Uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, cause so much of the movie is about children versus adults, regardless of age. So to have it like laid bare on the stage like that, <laughs> But can we just stop and pause for a moment and consider how fucking hard What Do Kids Know is as a game show? I mean, the questions <laughs> are outrageous. The people have to, like, figure out, like, like they have to, like, know the tone and then, like, like of, a, of, of music and then, like, like what the fuck is going yeah, on? With he sings questions? it in French. I was I like, this is ridiculous. French. Come on. Like, this is like the average viewer at home would hate this show. How could it be on for decades? I mean, like, at least when you're Jeopardy, you get one out of 10, maybe right. It's an Earl Partridge production, man. Earl Partridge gets what he wants. Fucking elitist. That's a hilarious point. You know how frustrating to be to sit there and watch it, not knowing any of the answers at all. <laughs> yep, I had that same thought to me when he's singing the opera in French for bonus points. I'm like, come on. Come on, come on I mean, Richard, that fat kid, he doesn't know any of the answers. No. Come on, they make him like an idiot the whole time. Yeah, they're just waiting <laughs> on callbacks. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that is funny. Good call, Travis. So the past is big in this movie as well. The past, It's not right? through with us, right? It's not, how many times, it's like a Christopher Nolan film with the way they shove that <laughs> line down your throat, right? Yeah, mm, Pretty subtle. You either born, uh, you know, you either die the hero or you live long enough, you know. Right, Christopher right, Nolan right. does that in Inception, probably the most of any film that I'm actually thinking of. But uh, I just want to get a quick take. Uh, is this movie about the past as well? And how, doesn't you find it exhausting? Because I found it a little exhausting that they're trying to shove this message down my throat. Uh, 
Hmm. I I, uh, I, I I didn't find that exhausting. Um, I uh, uh, again, like I felt, I felt like so much of the movie is about um, uh, you know trauma and overcoming trauma and overcoming right. um, not even just trauma, but like who who you come to believe that you are. Um, like uh, like the the storyline between Claudia and Jim, you know uh, John John C. Riley's character. Um, which why the fuck would you name Jimmy Gator and then Jim? Like that's just creepy. Why you gotta have them both the same name? But, um, and regardless of the fact that that relationship clearly would never work out, um, I do think it's, uh, it's like the meat of, it's like the heart of the story because it kind of like, it's about how um, you can maybe be more and better than like what you think you are. You don't want to suddenly crank some Amy Mann at two o'clock in the afternoon and pound a bunch of Coke? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> we do have to give credit to Amy Mann here while we while we're on the subject because he does say or he has said PTA that uh, like she's like one of the main influences of like a lot like so there is actually like the line that that Claudia says now that you've met me would you have any objection if we never see each other again like that's an Amy Mann line apparently I guess he's really he was really infatuated with her work till Tuesday man voices carry classic Amy voices. Mann <laughs> voices carry man. Back in the day, Jim was always my favorite character, and it took until I was 39 years old to see how inappropriate this relationship was from the onset. This cop would clearly be trained and have a lot of knowledge about strung out people and, you know, what's appropriate to do in, in these circumstances. I don't see him <laughs> kind of trying to get some fucking coffee and a date out of this person that's clearly having some extreme mental anguish and has drug issues. I mean, what, what's going on here? Not to mention the extreme abuse of power. Like, like you force your way into this woman's home and then, like, uh, you, you demand coffee. Like, it's, it's not sweet. <laughs> it's, it's not sweet. It's, 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 no. uh, it's, I mean, like, it works out, I guess, but like, you know, for, cause she's interested, but like, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not okay. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? Whatever happened to Malora Walters? Yeah, whatever you know, happened funny. to her. Um, it's funny you ask because I, 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 I wondered the same thing. So I, you know, I MDB'd her very quickly. And it's one of those situations where I was like, this person dropped off the earth. And then you look at their IMDb and you're like, no, this person's been working hard for, for a long time. They've just been in a bunch of shit that I ain't watching. Hmm. So we're going to talk about all the characters in the movie in a moment. Um, but I have to talk about it. We got to cover it. By the way, um, is this way too late to say there's spoilers in this show? Just want to let you guys know <laughs> there's spoilers. Uh, so the frogs, the the reigning frogs. I've got plenty of comments on why it's in the movie and you know the relevance of it and the impact of it. But Travis, tell us about these frogs. What's up with these flying reigning frogs falling down on people's windshields? <laughs> We're already the frogs. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Why not? I would say that for one, like it's amazing to think that like, can you imagine if that's what it was actually like when frogs fell from the sky? Because you know it's a natural ph phenomenon. It does happen. Yeah. But like, not like that. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of like 40 pound bullfrogs just like falling, falling from, from like airplane heights. Like, good God, uh, that would be a terrible scene. Um, but uh, I, I do think that like, I, I do think that it's uh, kind of an anticlimactic moment in that it's sort of like, um, maybe not anti, I mean, or maybe not anticlimactic, but it's like, it's almost like a faux climax. 
because it's like something needs to build to a head and then so that's what ends up happening but like it has no real relevance on the rest of the story it doesn't change anything the characters themselves don't even acknowledge right. it hardly right um so i i it's i'm not really sure of the function that it serves and i don't think it ever really was supposed to i, I don't think we're supposed to read i mean I, I think we're supposed to read a lot into it but i don't think there's actually a lot there wow eric I, yeah, the frog thing, uh, I really don't like this for a couple of different reasons. The first glaring issue with these frogs is, uh, once again, when you give a 29-year-old filmmaker <laughs> uh, final cut and free reign to do anything, he turns in a screenplay where, out of nowhere, frogs rain down on everyone, and it has really no bearing on anything in the story. That's a problem. So... Uh, <laughs> I mean, and the one thing that the frogs do, I hate, which is prevent Jimmy Gator from killing himself. Because I fucking yeah, hate that. that's a good point. And if he would have killed himself, that would have made the ending so much better. Because I hate that bastard. Yeah, why does that happen? Why do they save him? I re I really don't know, but I I cannot stand this character. And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Um. Other than that, yeah, it causes Linda to go to the hospital and. This is another issue I have with the movie. It's a huge missed opportunity because Frank T.J. Mackey visits the hospital uh, that Linda's at, but there's no scene. There's no reconciliation between the two who are now only each other's family. And I, I don't know why we don't get a scene there. Um, would have been, you know, cathartic and all that. But other than that, yeah, uh, just indulgent, indulgent nonsense as far as I'm concerned indulgent nonsense man that's harsh i think it's a representation of people who have their heads so far up their own asses that he's trying to make a point of these people are there's so much drama going on in this film and so many people have their intense dramatic situations going on that are legit i don't argue that point i just think it's a moment to say hey whoa there's a whole world going on out here and the fact that these frogs come crashing down on them is just that shot a jolt of reality to them to kind of remind them that's a that's always how i've looked at it i don't care about um you know there's like bible re, bible references uh, yeah. i guess about this and all that I, I don't really care about that part i just no. find that part of it being something that is frankly uh over the top but i enjoy it i enjoy that part of it don't you look know, into the uh, biblical references too much because you'll be even more disappointed the point of the, the you know, uh, the, the Bible verse is that, you know, God's showing some clemency and giving you a warning to either straighten up or he's going to smite you. But all of the characters pretty much find their or, or ignore their rec possibility for reconciliation before the frogs come. So, again, they don't have any bearing on any of the circumstances. I do like the moment right before the frogs come. Um, not so much when um jim and uh quiz kid donnie smith interact but like the when you have that second where like um everyone's like on the road at the same time and like the mother and the daughter are actually like in, like through the same intersection and don't even know it at the same time um i do kind of like like the uh it's, what, it's one of the moments you you do see you get a better sense of like the um the, the connections that even if they're not aware of them, the, the characters themselves paul thomas anderson loves picking up scenes where characters are passing by each other on the road like he did with the donut shop scene and after mark Wahlberg gets beat down in boogie nights he loves that i think the frogs are fun i think they're useful and i think they have a purpose uh, i know eric you clearly disagree 
and you think it's over the top trash. Yeah. Indulgent nonsense. Can you imagine being on the crew, like having read the script, like being pissed off? Like, why is this even in the script? And why is there a 30 pound bullfrog falling on me? And who's paying for this shit? <laughs> it does provide though, to me, the most cringeworthy scene of a, could be some cringeworthy moments in this film when Donnie gets hit in the face and he falls off the pole and smashes his teeth into the ground. That makes me, Oh, it makes me grab my mouth every time. It's so uncomfortable. Uh, that, yeah. Is it, is it as cringeworthy as him telling Brad that he loves him though? That is, that is like a slow moving train wreck. Cringeworthy. Um, it's all, it's all like an yeah. instant reaction. Yeah. It's like a versus a, <laughs> exactly it's like somebody stop that man right now dr klopak dude dr klopak sitting over there in the bar you know rich uh henry gibson Henry yeah, gibson that's a, a, a rich Rest lavish homosexual enjoying his life having all this money to shower on brad with harley davidson's and, and what's funny you know, to me so is that those two are the ones that should have ended up together Right. That's that's what, like if either one of them had a fucking clue, they would walk away from Brad and spend the rest of their lives in love. And instead, <laughs> they're just completely bonkers uh, and miss it. I'm sick. Stay that way. I'm sick and I'm in love. You seem the sort of person who confuses the two. That's right. That's the first time you've been right. I confuse the two and I don't care. That is a great point, Travis. You're so, I completely agree with that. Yes, they were born for each other without realizing it because they get blinded by their pride and their obsessions and their lust. Yeah. They have like so a weird natural about, chemistry. Yeah. If we talk about Quiz Kid Donnie Smith, because for a couple of things while watching this, A, we get another cameo from Alfred Molina. Great. He's back in 7 Eleven. <laughs> Oh, this is ridiculous. This is fucking ridiculous, Donnie. I love it. He's so good. Solomon and Solomon Appliances. But, I mean, William H. Macy used to be one of my favorite character actors, and he was always so awesome in all these movies. He's been MIA because of this goddamn Shameless show since 2011. And I, I'm sorry, but I'm pissed off. I miss Bill Macy. He used to be so awesome. I will say this, and Travis turned me on to this, so I want to give Travis credit. Uh, he did direct Rudderless in 2014. Which oh, great. so good. Yeah, great movie. Billy Crystal. So, so good. Yeah, let's give him credit for that at least. But, yeah, he's obviously – he made a career sort of being – I mean, I love The Cooler. He's great in The Cooler, movies like that back in 2003. But PTA kind of set him up in that career. I think he gave him some what? great roles. Oh, yeah. Just Donnie Smith. Oh, yeah, that helps, too. I agree. You combine all of those. But you're right. Yeah, maybe there is a lack of Bill Macy character love in our lives. What do you think, Trav? I, I, I think that Shameless has gone on too goddamn long. Cancel that shit already. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that Bill Macy is a great actor. And I, I think it's inter interesting that the script was written in, like, his cabin that, uh, that, that uh, he was loaning to PTA. And I think it's interesting that Felicity Huffman is in this movie for no fucking reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was waiting to mention that on the show that Felicity Huffman gets to be in it because she was married to Bill Macy. That's it. She just, hey, that was her only chance to be in a PTA film and she gets and it. So and, and ironically, quadrini character. Sorry, ironically, guys. she's encouraging uh, parents to get their kids to win the parents' money. And, you know, think about the irony in her current situation in prison. So. <laughs> I don't think All she's right, in prison anymore. One of my problems with Quiz Kid Donnie Smith's character is I love his whole arc up until almost the very end, because, you know, 
we don't see why he decides to stop doing what he's doing. He just is in his car and he says to himself, you know, what, what the, the fuck, fuck am I doing? doing? <laughs> and he turns around and that's not enough for me. That's such a oh, potent character. You get like 10 minutes of his philosophy and, and all this uh, about his inner workings just to have them say out loud, you know, what the fuck am I doing? And then turn the car around. For me, it's not enough. But it's funny because he's he's injured and he has all of this, you know, like the because of uh, like him actually having a change of heart and going back. Like, um, yeah, I don't know if that's supposed to say anything or not, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I guess I just get annoyed. This is probably one of my least favorite characters in the whole movie. He does a great job acting, but I just like I just get annoyed. I'm like, I don't care about this. I don't care about Quiz Kid Donnie Smith because he's drunk. And there's incredible use of Super Tramp in a movie. Arguably the best oh, yeah. Super Tramp song ever in film. Mm, yeah. But uh, I do enjoy the whole bar scene and all that. But at, otherwise, when if he's getting yelled at by Alfred Molina and his brother, uh, I don't really care. That was the fun I will, part. I will say this, that again, like this, this whole idea of it being a true epic, uh, an epic film, and like, yeah, okay, so it's easy to film like a, a dying father and uh, an estranged son reunited and like, that's epic, you know, or like a bot suicide attempt. That's so epic. But like uh, a loser's rant in, uh, in, in, in a, uh, <laughs> a drunken, you know, screed in a bar and having that be equally dramatic and epic, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Good call, Travis. Well, I admire the acting and the performance very much so but by the time it gets to the appliance and he's falling off the telephone pole and i'm done with that i i don't care anymore i guess i guess there is a point maybe i just realized this by saying that i get a little exhausted with this film by the end i think i've oh, seen God. everything i enjoyed about the film and towards the end of it i'm just done i think i just realized well, that now i think that one of the one of the things that both makes this movie and detracts from it i think is that he you know pta like set out to like write the story basically like his own father had died uh and he had connected with tom cruise about his father dying and had kind of a similar situation where he changed his name and saw him on his deathbed etc so like he wrote that role for him and he started writing roles specifically for people like phil parma he wrote specifically for philip seymour hoffings he just wanted like you're a sweet guy i want you to play a sweet character um but like, and that's cool because you build this whole story around that. But then ultimately you end up with like some characters that are constructed that maybe don't really serve a purpose. And uh, as, you know, as good as the acting is, et cetera, et cetera, like maybe, you know, when you get down to it, the story could be told with probably about six of the characters and be an hour and 40 long. But, but then <laughs> is it epic, you know? Yeah. Is it epic? You know, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, the most exhausting, insufferable character is uh linda played by julianne moore oh yeah talented actress i disagree but it's such a exhausting performance for me personally she's vulgar she's rude she's a jerk there's no there's no they don't tell you why she has this change of heart about earl they just say oh yeah i I love him now no 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 no. i disagree with everything yeah i completely like i just read that when I was younger, I really loathed the Linda character, but now as I've gotten older and watched it more and experienced a little bit of life, I completely love, I empathize with her and I appreciate yeah. the character. And I think, she, wow. I think she does a good job of saying like she feels really guilty. And she explains it well when she's sitting in that scene with the lawyer talking about, I want to tell you things. I want to tell you these things. I, I've done yeah. so oh, many bad things. That's I've stolen other scene. men's cocks. I love that scene. Like, the way she says that. Oh, so powerful. Other men's cocks. Like, she's, she's like crying. falling apart. Yeah, it's so, 
not had such a challenge to do. And I think she deserves a lot of credit. And I, if, if, she, you agree if, they, if they only had Google in 1999, she could have saved herself so much exhaustion by just finding out that she could renounce the will. But the second the guy does suggest that to her, she tells him to <laughs> shut the fuck up like 500 times. Uh, okay. That's a funny point. I'm laughing at that, but I but still stand behind what I said. But that's because he tells her to relax. He tells her like to calm down oh. or something like that. It's another yeah, man coming into her life being like, hey, I know better than you. You're too emotional right now. It doesn't matter that, like, the man you love is dying or that you have all this guilt. Um, like, I, I, I disagree strongly. I think that her performance is among the most powerful in the movie. And, and I think that, like, what really is uh, important about it is that you look at Earl Partridge and his great regret his, is the way that he treated his first wife, right? Like, he, yeah. he, he stepped yep. out on her all the time, but he loved her. And then he's visited with, you know, the same situation where it's like this perfect karmic situation where you know, he's with someone that, that doesn't appreciate him and doesn't take care of him uh, and, and cheats on him on a regular basis. But, you know, you take care of someone, you're, you're, you're going to grow to love that person. If you're, like, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love him. Um, so she probably loved him all along, but like it was a growing thing that she didn't acknowledge over time. So I just, I find her performance really raw and real. And uh, yeah, I just... I think it's amongst the best in the movie. Yeah, I like her performance. I'm just saying her character, uh, it's not written well enough for me. There should be a reason why she has this change of heart, uh, in my opinion. Well, I can respect you, Eric, but you're wrong. So it's obvious that <laughs> Julianne Moore is, is an accomplished, incredible actress. Her resume speaks for itself as well, but she did such a great and really a powerful, a uncomfortable job to be in this role. And I think she deserves all the praise that Travis is giving her. And the fact that you really kind of flipped the script on that. Jason Robards leaves his first wife, leaves Tom Cruise in the lurch. Now she's standing beside a man that she suddenly just realized she loved. She may have just realized him. Yeah, yeah. because he's dying now and she's experiencing death. Maybe we don't know that about her character. This could be like a first time she's really had to see a death in the way the process goes from deterioration to right. no longer really being i mean this is a powerful man this was and not the, some the, guy who was a, a weak uh you know loser like donnie quizkid smith earl partridge is the antithesis of donnie right. quizkid and the guilt weighs on her to the point that she tries to take her own life um so i mean uh i, I don't think that she's a jerk at all i think that she's a uh, you know pretty pretty sensitive person i do wish that um like a little more resolution like i we can assume that she's saved since the ambulance does make it to the uh hospital um but like it's still kind of like you don't really know i mean we, we just kind of have to assume but i guess that's, that's the way movies work sometimes. tom cruise is walking down that hallway at the end so you assume he's going i assume he's going to her room and then i also assume that they get together you uh, uh, i do i assume that like because <laughs> no just like oh yeah yeah absolutely what? i've always assumed yeah. that that they're no, never just, crossed my mind just like you said uh you know, Henry Gibson's character and Donnie Quizkid should really be together. Uh, to me, it made perfect sense that this guy doesn't hate women. He's just bitter and resentful. So he's created this, you know, tame the, tame the cunt, you know. And you said it. <laughs> whole... you, you thought about not saying it, but then you said it. <laughs> no, I forgot. I was trying to like, you know, what does he celebrate? Suck my big fat sausage day. I mean, he's got sausage. this whole, this whole thing, you know, uh, What's it called? Seduce and destroy. That's what it is. Yeah. So he's. So you guys, you guys ready to talk about Frank T.J. Mack? Yeah, let's do it. 
Frank T.J. Mackey is the master. He deserved an Academy Award. I don't care about the Academy Awards, but yeah. if someone deserves it, he definitely deserved Ugh. Best Supporting Actor, and this was his best chance to ever win. And we know who it went to, right? Uh, Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. His <laughs> second or third Academy Award. Cider House Rules? Second, second Academy Award for, yeah, for Cider House Rules, which just, Ugh. yeah, Tom, Tom got robbed, man. He got robbed. Thank God the old Academy members that, that uh, award that that droll boring trash are dying off and that uh they're starting to recognize performances like this which should have been had trophies dumped on tom cruise's lawn after it came out i completely agree with you and i don't like tom cruise i don't care about tom cruise but when i see a good performance so a performance that has value a performance that has uh, hypocrisy built within it pain and in his eyes but somebody who's trying to assert this dominance and control that he knows what's best and there's no woman. I love that bit he says about every woman knows who I am. I'm the guy who teach men to take advantage of women, but yet I can still get the women. He shows such power, but there's a huge hole in him, just like so many other people are trying to cover or fill the holes in their lives. So is this movie trying to redeem irredeemable characters? Is that really what's going on here? I mean, like... I mean, like, if we, if we think of, like, Jimmy Gator and we, and we think of, like, the very sympathetic yeah. eye that we're obviously supposed to have for, for Frank T.J. Mackey, who is filth and scum. So it just seems like, um, like, is this movie trying to, I don't know, there's, there's some things about this movie that make me uncomfortable. They're, they're, like, it, it makes me uncomfortable that, that, like we've said earlier, that Jimmy Gator is saved. Why is he saved? It makes me a little uncomfortable Fuck that... that um, and, you know, it makes me a little uncomfortable that negging and that pickup culture stuff picked up more after this movie than before it. I mean, um, there's, I don't know, there's some, there's some things about the movie that don't sit right with me. The performance, the writing, um, the story, all that's great. But, like, but at the same time, there's some things that just, I don't know, are problematic. Um, let me ask you guys a question, because you're both clearly a lot smarter than I am. Why does Frank hate women? when he had to watch his mother go through this horrible experience. What, what, I don't understand this character aspect. Yeah, I've often, I've often thought about that too. You would think he would be more sympathetic to women, but right. it's almost like he adopted the personality of his father in a weird psychological, uh, a, a way that's hard to describe. We'd have to sit down and start talking about psychological methods and issues which i don't think we need to do but that is like the basis to me hey i'm gonna be like earl partridge now for some weird reason it's very odd i mean sometimes you idolize what you hate i guess but um also i'm like to try to find reason or logic in that level or any level of misogyny is uh i mean you know that's a fool's errand well, maybe it just doesn't make sense at all, Eric. You know, maybe it's like if you start to think about it at all, you're like, this is stupid. <laughs> what What do you guys think the interviewer, who's pro- played really well by an actress I haven't seen since, is what – I don't really understand what she's trying to get at because she asked him why he would lie about his childhood, okay? She doesn't come out and say, why, why do you hate women so much, knowing what he went through as a kid. She just seems more concerned with a guy who had kind of a tough upbringing, uh, now just lying about his upbringing. What's the point? Why has she invested so much in his his youth? Shouldn't she be asking him more pointed questions like, "What's your problem with women?" and you know, "What are the consequences of what you're doing now?" I don't see that really going anywhere. Her questions are very mm-hmm. odd. To me. 
He's a liar. I mean, he's 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 lied. And, and she's a journalist, so like, if he's already made like his public record, one thing that she uncovers to be a lie, it's her job to set it straight. It seems Eric, to me like yeah. that, that that would be like obvious, and he's just trying to make money. But she makes it out of like like he's hiding this, harboring this huge secret that I I don't see that you know incidental to his story. That's just me personally. By the way, Eric, I want to give you a great tidbit. You said you haven't seen this actress since. Her name is April Grace, who plays Guinevere, the reporter in the film. April right. Grace was just recently seen in Joker as the Arkham Psychiatrist. How about oh, that? Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so that's a fun tidbit. She's also been in AI and Legend. Uh, she's made some bit parts here and there, so she's been hanging yeah. around. Wow. She was good. She was good in Magnolia. Oh, yeah. She played a yeah. very, like, patient reporter, and I thought that was well done. And I think looking at T Frank T.J. Mackey is one of the most uh, – Characters that you cannot avoid in this film, they're in your face. And mm. at the end, he does have a classic farewell with Jason Robards, by the way, who's it's this is his last performance. We should give tribute and respect to Jason Robards for playing the great Earl Partridge and having a impressively wonderful yeah. sense of humor about smoking and all that as he's dying of cancer. <laughs> he made me laugh yeah. a few times. Do me a personal favor. I go fuck myself. You got it. Him and Phil Parma, Philip Seymour Hoffman's characters, back and forth at the bedside of the hospice world they are a part of. I, I enjoyed those scenes. I thought they were there was longing, there was regret, but there was also this uh, comedy aspect, and that's really hard to do. I feel like, and PTA yeah. deserves credit for the script as well. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's a really really strong last role for him to have gone out on. It was it was written for him, so I'm glad he was able to do it because it almost ended up having to go to George G. Scott, who didn't like the role. Um, very different movie that would have been. Um, but I also like there's so many lines in like he's like his lines are, uh, more than anyone else I think are like the. Uh, they, they resonate the most amongst me, and I think all the yeah. time over the you know, like I said, I haven't watched this movie in years and years, but I always think of that line: "Life isn't short; it's fucking long. It's long." <laughs> I think about that all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful call, Travis. Eric, you love Jason Robards, right? The legendary James James Robards is is so good in this. And when I again, I go back to when I watched this as a, a nineteen year old. This was the more laborious parts for me because we got this old man who's who's wheezing and he's carrying on and on and on and on about regret and this and these lost <laughs> opportunities. But, you know, now that I'm getting up there in age, they resonate with me a lot. In fact, his story, in my opinion, when he tells the story about, you know, Lily, his dead wife, this is more sincere, honest, mm -hmm. tender, sweet portrayal and, and character interaction. It's one that's in your imagination as a viewer. But it's the best character interaction in the whole film. And I'm talking about even between characters that actually talk to each other in the movie. Uh, the subtext is, that's what kind of why the Lindy character bothers me, because I don't see that interaction between the two of them. But in this simple story that he tells, I'm getting so much emotion. So I love it. And I'll die. Now I'll die. And I'll tell you what, yeah. The biggest regret of my life. I let my love go. 
Can we talk about lesser characters now? Some, I mean, we talked about the main characters, but there's a lot of fun characters that come and go in this film. There's also several people that we recognize that have bit or cameo roles, such as uh, Clark Gregg plays the Clark floor Gregg, director. Clark Gregg, pop it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he plays the floor director on the What Kids Know show. And then uh, apparently Paul F. Tompkins was the voice of the Seduce and Destroy. I didn't know that. <laughs> he was. And then Robert Downey Sr., who PTA is always said is a huge influence on him. Uh, mm. He's in the film again. He was in Boogie Nights as well as one of the uh, people controlling the control room for the TV show. So that's fun. But beyond those cameos, Eric, let's start with you. Can you tell us a character or two that have lesser, smaller roles, but they play a key part in the movie that you enjoyed or you thought were totally pointless and annoying? It's hard for me to comment on that, but when it comes to an ensemble piece, I don't think we've seen something on this scale since 1999. And, you know, he grew up with Robert Altman and he always had his, his players. And I really miss seeing a big ensemble cast. Wes Anderson, he does it. I, I'll, I'll give you that. But th the way he handles each character, I love it because you watch so many movies where Characters are tossed in there as just background fodder. But even the small characters, Jimmy Gator, fuck Jimmy Gator, but his assistant, this sweet older lady, that Mary. could be a whole, a whole uh, movie relationship in and of itself. Michael Bowen as Stanley's father is a really good character actor. So, I mean, when you talk what about, about the, this, uh, your father. What about the rapper, the kid who he does the rap to lay out the story for Tell Jim you about the word. That's yeah. right. Like, what is the, and then he, he just magically is showing up in other parts later when he finds the gun and he also saves Julianne Moore's character from dying when he finds her in the car. What was so, that? So they cut out an entire character that was going to be played by Orlando Jones as, as Worm. So that was another father. <laughs> that and explains son. that. Yeah. So Worm was like his <laughs> like, dad. What the fuck is he Worm? Was in this to, movie? He was trying to get like his dad put into jail by incriminating him to the cop and code. And it, it's just one that, that didn't make, you know, it didn't end up getting into the final cut, which, if you'll indulge me, if you were to cut, and P.T. Anderson has since said, oh, Christ, I would cut, you know, maybe even char complete characters out of this film nowadays. Who would you sever? I mean, what character do you think could, could stand, or even storyline do you guys think could stand to go to get rid of some of this bloat on this picture? Well, if any. Be before I, I answer that, I wanted to answer Govier's question about the yeah, character sure, that, that I really liked. Um, so, someone who I thought played a small role in this film that is a really powerful role is Melinda Dillon as Jimmy Gator's oh, yeah. wife. Um, so, like, you should have known better. That whole scene, like, she's barely in this fucking movie, and like, every time that scene gets me emotional. Like, oh, like yeah. her, she's so uh, I believe her. You know, uh, it's really, really, really good work. But you um, won't as for people, say. <laughs> <laughs> as for what could have been cut out of it, um. I mean, some of the, uh, let me think. I mean, like, I don't know, man. This is a really fucking white movie. So I, I, I feel bad about the idea of taking Marcy out of it because she's like one of only three people of color in this whole goddamn thing. But she's that pretty stereotypical. Mine. Yeah, she's pretty stereotypical and doesn't really serve much other than, I guess, to show that, like, Jim can be an okay cop. He's not a complete fuck-up, but he's still a complete fuck-up because he's, he handcuffs her when he really doesn't need to. He's rude to her in ways he doesn't need to. And then, it's, and then right after that, it shows how he completely dismisses the rapper kid who's, like, giving him, you know, vital information. Um, I don't so I need really to don't, hear that word. <laughs> so I really don't see the purpose of all of that. But, again, it's, it's so white. I, I wouldn't want 
they cut him out. So, I, um, but yeah, that's probably. And again, and again, that opening, that opening. Yeah, you could cut the opening. Uh, I, I, to me, I, I won't. I know this sounds like I'm copping out, Eric, but I really wouldn't cut any of it. I, I enjoy the whole film. I, I think you could have cut out the going back to put the money back. The whole point where Donnie steals the money and stuff. I, I guess I could cut that part out if you're making me choose something. Let's just get rid of that and. You know, the whole final scene, too, where Jim comes into Claudia's bedroom to give her a happy ending. You know, trauma often doesn't have happy Ooh. endings. So let's, uh, let's cut that out. Maybe that's just how I would life. disagree. Because that, that last smile that we get from, from uh, Claudia is just that, that very, you know, that moment where you're like, you, you can't hear what Jim's saying. And like, you see these, but you know, he's trying to talk some, you know, to, to like spin it back his way. And then when she, break, when she breaks and that smile crosses her face, it's one of the best smiles in film history. I, I love it. Wouldn't cut that for anything. Well, there you have it, Eric. It was there. I mean, there's stuff that you would cut, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the the thing about the cutting the picture, it's easy to say, yeah, this is over long, but movies nowadays are you got a fucking superhero movie that's three hours long, and I think this started. I remember. In fact, I can pinpoint when I started noticing this. It was Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. It's like two hours and 40 minutes. And before then, I never remember like any movies besides like this and like Gandhi being, <laughs> being like three hours long. Then all of a sudden, every summer blockbuster was like loaded three hours, but it moves along. It dances with wolves. It dances with wolves, but he, he he's a long movie. Moves along. Yeah, we don't need to go down point. the road of long movie. Yeah, I, you do make a valid point. A PTA can make a short film. I mean, when he did Punch Drunk Love, that was hour and a half. That was very brief. So, and it's, it's very, not, it's very expertly done too. It's one of his better movies, I think. Agreed. I remember being so excited because I love Magnolia to see Punch Drunk Love as a follow-up. So, I guess that's a fun point. Let's kind of put that in context. Clearly, PTA is a director of a generation. He's made a lot of incredible films. If you were doing a top three, we don't need to do a top five. Let's do a top three of PTA films. Does Magnolia make the cut? Eric, let's start with you. Top three. Magnolia, the top three of all his films? Oh, I love There Will Be Blood and The uh, Phantom Thread. I love them. I, I like Magnolia. And I you like love The Master. I, I don't, you know, I don't love The Master anymore. Oh, you don't? <laughs> I watch it, I'm like, I love this movie. <laughs> That's how I feel like fuck this. It's an indulgent mess. But uh, what about yeah, no. What about us? Doesn't make it. What about everyone's favorite PTA movie, 2014, baby? Oh, fuck. Advice? Oh, God. <laughs> it's one of the only movies I've ever turned off in my whole yeah. life. Yeah. I've never, I still haven't finished it. And in fact, I still haven't seen, I still haven't seen Phantom Thread because it left such a bad taste in my mouth. Oh, good. Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, Boogie Nights will always remain. And yeah. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, I love it. And I'll probably go There Will Be Blood. Those are the top three. There we are. I love Punch Drug wow. Love. That's really hard to do because I don't yeah. want to leave that at the top four. That's why I made it three instead of five because obviously it would be in there. But The Master, I thought was... But we're talking about Magnolia. Yeah, I thought The Master was terrible, and I thought Eric loved it, and now we've reversed roles. I actually kind of like The Master now, and he hates it. That's funny. <laughs> That's how that turned out. But as far as Magnolia, uh, final thoughts, gentlemen. We've covered a lot of characters, many oh, yeah. topics. It's time to make the decision. We're talking about Magnolia because we want to know, does it hold up? 
Travis Roy, does Magnolia hold up? So, like I said, this is a movie that I've seen a lot. Even in repeat viewings, like, I, I definitely felt like it was one that I got something different from each time. Like watching it this time, I don't think I ever quite grasped the importance of Bill Parma like holding off on, on giving the morphine. It's a pretty important scene, but somehow it's just like there's so much going on that kind of slipped by me that like, he like holds off on giving the, the morphine to Earl and then he finally does. And then once he does, like, you know, Earl is out of it um, when, uh, when Frank finally does show up and misses almost the whole thing and like doesn't maybe, we don't even know if he hears it. So like, I think that I had kind of constructed in my head like a much happier story than is actually there. So like one of the things about the movie that came that that I liked this time is that it 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 still surprises me. It it shows me things that are there in front of my face that I just didn't see after like a repeated viewings. Is there bloat, as Eric would say? Absolutely. Is it self-indulgent? Yeah. But um, it is an epic movie about everyday life in a way that few films deem to try to be. And I really respect it for that. And I, and I think that it also holds some of the best performances of some of the better actors working from that time period. Um, so yeah, I would say it absolutely holds up and it is a great film. Eric Branstrom. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? If I'm comparing this to like, like, like triple X with Vin Diesel, <laughs> goddamn masterpiece. Well, we, we're not doing that. Uh, what it all boils down to for me is how I feel when the, the credits roll, okay? Uh, so I appreciate the ambition. I appreciate the temerity of Paul Thomas Anderson at 29 years old making a movie that good. Think about that. I mean, I, wasn't, I didn't know what the fuck was going on when I was 29 years old. To make a, a movie like this is a huge crowning achievement. Ultimately... It's got a great first act. I love when he introduces the characters. We start to get to know them. But when all was said and done, I just, I wasn't feeling it. I, I wasn't where I was back in the day at the end of this movie. I just, uh, I don't know if it holds up. So I wasn't there emotionally. Uh, I wish I would have been, but for me, this is, uh, I don't know. This was a tough watch. I had two more problems than I did uh favorable praise i wanted to, to unload on it so there i am right now well, well i think this movie holds up it's a no-brainer for me i hardly need to explain myself but since this is a podcast i will tell you that i think this movie holds up because it's about the pain and struggle and confusion of relationships and communication that all of us usually get ourselves involved in and it's not about being self-indulgent it's about being appreciative of what life is really about and how difficult it can be to find connection with other people as well. If you appreciate that, if you have you know, any bones in your body that have some depth to them or that you have appreciation of the challenge it is to get your point across or to be heard, there's so many things that are continuing to be issues in people's lives today and in society as a whole that make this movie completely relevant. And that's why I think it holds up still. It's also entertaining. That To make all of that possible is what is an accomplishment to me. And it's not because I want to, you know, sleep with Paul Thomas Anderson. It's just because I really admire a film that's well done. So kudos to him. He made a movie that stands the test of time. And I'm yeah. giving it a two thumbs up for holding up to this day. Hey, forever. <laughs> and one, one last comment for me. Um, so 
my last point is that um, Quiz Kid Donnie's fifth line, I really do have love to give. I just don't know where to put it. I think it's one of the most uh, poignant and like uh, brutal moments I can think of in film history. Like one of those raw deliveries of a really raw line. And the movie's just peppered with stuff like that. I just think it, uh, I think that's really something special. That's my last two cents. I know I did a stupid thing. So stupid. Getting braces. I thought, I thought that he would love me. Getting braces. For what? For something I don't even, I don't know where to put things, you know? I really do have love to give. I just don't know where to put it. Well, that is poignant in itself, Travis. Good call. Oh, and maybe it, I guess it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Now that you just said that, I, maybe that's why I try to say, oh, forget that quiz kid character. But if I sit in it, it's really makes me feel uncomfortable about my own self and maybe that's mm. easier for me to blow it off that's just just something i'm thinking about thank you wow all right so let's uh let's move into the closing part of our show we've got an email we're gonna do an email and then we're gonna talk about uh quarantine movies that you'd like to share with others or you've been watching so let's talk about jeff b jeff b is a wonderful human being and he has graciously enough sent us an email um eric would you like to read the email <laughs> yeah, let me just bring it up here. Uh, you can find us at Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. Uh, questions, concerns, how do you feel about Magnolia? Am I way off? Am I just like uh, being depressing and trashing this movie for no good reason? <laughs> how wrong am I about the Julianne Moore character? Very. Tell me all about it. Really give uh, it to him, guys. <laughs> so... Our friend Jeff wants to ask us the following. Hello, guys, and great show. I just have a quick question on your thoughts about natural mannerisms in an actor versus their actual acting abilities. Very philosophical question from little Jeff B. I tend to feel that people are drawn to certain actors not so much for their skill, but more so for their innate quirks and natural facial expressions in any given performance. I agree that those things are the fundamentals of an actor, but how do you feel that there could be some sort of primal attraction to certain performers based on physical traits and expressions in contrast to their performance itself? This was a quick question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got some thoughts if you don't mind me weighing in first. Um, I think that there are three kinds of actors, you know? I think that there's character actors like Gary Oldman who could play just about anybody. I think that there's middle-of-the-road actors that just kind of play themselves but are likable, like The Rock. And I think that there are, like, um, you know, just, like, bona fide movie stars that can kind of do both. Um, they, they both, like, have their own natural charisma, which is, I think, a, a very powerful and real thing, and also they yeah. a lot of talent. And, like... I remember I saw Sting in concert once and I just could give a fuck. I was there for Peter Gabriel. He was playing with Peter Gabriel and I couldn't care. But when he came out, like, okay, yeah, maybe it's like the fact that I'm seeing Sting, but like, it just seemed like this white hot bolt of energy was coming out of him, just like spraying charisma 
all over all of us. And like, and, and wow. that, few, pe- few people have been around like that before. I think charisma is like this weird, I don't really get into like psychic kind of tele- telepathic thought and that kind of stuff. I don't go for that stuff. But like charisma is like this weird X factor, unidentifiable kind of thing that like um, makes me think that there might be something more going on. And I think that there are some actors that have that. And I think those are the people that we find most compelling to watch. That's well said, Travis. Uh, there are a host of different type of actors out there, actors, actresses, whatever you want to call them. They are people that put their f- feelings into a part so that they can escape their own lives. They love to try it out new feels. They love to have a new skin on that they can be like, oh, what does this feel like? So they can escape from their own lives. And often there's a lot of things going on internally with an actor that they will use as fodder for a performance. But when it comes to mannerisms and physical traits, it's hard to hide some of that unless you have costumes or prosthetics. There's a lot of things that can be used to maybe hide some of these physical and traits and mannerisms. But in the end, the actors usually seem to carry a lot of them with them. And you know, Someone like Adam Sandler is a very strange guy. Adam Sandler at times has given performances that emote rather powerful experiences it has happened you can't deny that oh absolutely it's been been done but then he's got this persona right so (laughs) sometimes but you know who (laughs) talking about guilty pleasures that's a good movie (laughs) wow you know where you know where you know that it's adam slander because he'll do these same kind of faces and expressions when he's mailing it in so it all kind of depends on an actor's mood i think jeff i think what happens with a director and a script and all these other things actually play into how an actor will connect with an audience and presents a certain image or a certain role to you as a viewer. And to me as a viewer, I think it's pretty difficult at times to identify what a person's motivations are, but I think it's very easy to identify their mannerisms and their physical traits and whether I'm drawn to them or not is like Travis said, this, magical charisma this unknown experience that we have that you can point it out when you feel it and see it but it's hard to replicate (laughs) if ever so that's an interesting question jeff i appreciate you writing in thank you eric what about you yeah i mean there's the age-old question you know what makes a star all right everyone goes off to hollywood but uh not everyone's selected to be in 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 film so there there has to be some sort of quality that can make you a, a memorable movie star um so in my opinion, my favorite actor is Jack Nicholson. And he's probably one of the most charismatic actors that's ever been on screen. But Lost about Smith this morning. Sorry. So good. Yeah. But his, his charisma comes to his commitment to his craft. Okay. So he's becoming his character. <laughs> so you're seeing that a lot of the physical traits and expressions, that is character, especially in the case of someone like jack nicholson or someone like robert downey jr they're so charismatic because they're so committed to their roles now when we look at this is another big opinion of of a couple i've been throwing out someone like i was thinking well who doesn't have that much charisma but is a really good actor okay do you guys have any thoughts on that because i've got a couple i got the first person that comes to mind is patrick wilson um, yeah, yeah, I, love I think I, I think he's a really strong actor, and I think that he played. And another one is Rafe, uh, Rafe Spall. Spall. Rafe Spall is another one. Um, uh, I watched Just Mercy recently, and he was fantastic in that, like a chameleon. But like, he's just kind of like a dry dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um, 
Yeah, Patrick Wilson's a great. I was thinking Scarlett Johansson. I love Scarlett Johansson. I think she's an incredible actress, but she's kind of dry and boring. Doesn't have that much charisma, in my opinion. Okay, um, so you know, it's an interesting question, but it, it all depends on what you consider. You know. A, an attribute that you think makes for a good character. Someone like Richard Gere, I have no fucking clue how this guy is a movie star. He's got zero charisma, <laughs> in my opinion, and he can't act. So I don't know what, what Richard Gere is doing in films. So. Yeah, I give him a voice. lot of leeway. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. He does not, he's not a good actor, but he really tries, but it's just never enough. <laughs> it's never enough. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that, but uh, I'd be interested to ask Jeff, you know, so for some examples, okay? Um, I think we should put that on social media. Who are actors that have no charisma but are great actors? I'd like. Yeah. I think that'd be good for us to maybe spread the word on that because I know I'm Bill Macy's actually a guy. He's a great actor, but he doesn't have a lot of charisma. I mean, we were talking about him. I think he fits. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Costner. I love Kevin Costner. Probably the most boring fucking guy I've ever seen in a movie. Generally, <laughs> from in my opinion. Oh uh, boy. Man, My favorite tough. female actress is Winona Ryder, and she's not that good. She's not that good of an actor, but I, I just love her. I think she exudes charisma, and I, I'll watch anything she's in. So it's just it's personal matter. It goes both ways, I guess. Cuts like a knife. You guys like Brian Adams? <laughs> Ish. No. Well, thank you, Jeff. Jeff, we welcome your emails. Keep them coming, man. You really spurred a lot of thoughts. I'm trying to think right now about all these actors and in my head about the charisma they have or the lack thereof, or but they really emote powerful performances or like firm foundations of acting. It's very interesting. Thank you, Jeff. If you want to be like Jeff and you want to get on the show and talk to us, hit us up at Cinema 9 Pod. That's the number nine, numerical nine. Pod at protonmail.com. Or they can message us on Facebook. And you can hit us up on Facebook. And you can hit us up on Twitter. We're on most social media performances. (laughs) We are on most social media formats. Let's close the show, guys. Let's wrap it up with a bing, bang, bong. What is something you've been watching that you would like to share with everyone else? Has something come across your TV screen over the last week that's something must be recommended instantly to the audience. Travis, we can start with you. Oh, um, okay. Well, like I said, I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, some of what I've been watching has been going back and watching movies I haven't seen in a long time. So I'm going to touch on a couple of those real quick. Um, like I went back and watched Doc, Holly, uh, Doc Hollywood, which is one of those movies, oh, wow. uh, Michael J. Fox, which I've seen dozens and dozens of times, but it's been a long time. And I was really surprised um, how well that held up. Another one I went back and watched was 1993's Fearless with Jeff Bridges. And man, that really dips in the middle and kind of gets a little dull. But like, what the fuck was going on with me that I was so in love with this movie when I was that age? Like, because it is a a heavy, heavy movie. Jimmy's Um, Basement, man. We watch that all the time. Yeah. It's a heavy fucking film. And it ends with, with, you know... um, I wish that there was more movies that, that Jeff, I love Jeff Bridges, but like he kind of stopped doing movies like that. It, just, it ends with him like laughing and crying at the same time on the floor. And like, he just oh. doesn't really do movies like that anymore. Um, so that was really good. Newer stuff that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, newer stuff that I watched that I felt like was uh, really strong was um, one was rocket man. I was a little wary to watch rocket man. Oh. Because I'm like, you know, I'm sick of bios. Like, 
enough already, but Taron Edgerton or whatever his name is fucking killed it. I can't believe that was Edgerton yeah. from the Kingsman movies. He fucking killed it. And the direction, the, 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 the musicality going on with it, it just, uh, it's in a lot of ways, it's like a, a typical, like, like rock and roll story. Like you've heard the story so many times, you know, but mm-hmm. it's, there's so many new spins on it that, and, and so much more like emotional depth to it than most of those kind of movies. So I would definitely recommend that. And then the big surprise for me, and I'm going to say one more and wrap it up, uh, was last year's, I think it was 2019, uh, Crawl. Uh, that that oh. movie was so God, crawl. fun. It really surprised me. Crawl, me was, crawl was a lot of fun. Um, I don't want to oversell it because like, part of what I think I liked about it was the fact that my expectations were low. Um, but man, it was, it was a fun, fun horror movie. Someone else's turn. <laughs> Fascinating. That's uh, quite a list there. Fearless. Yeah, Fearless movie. was a classic. Uh, we watched it in our friend Jimmy's basement. I remember watching it down there like three or four times. Fearless was always like this. <laughs> there was this fearless phase. Like Chad and other people were down there. I, that's how I remember why it fearless. quite well. And yeah, why Fearless? We were like teenagers. Like, who should have been watching, I don't know, popcorn tracks? I don't know. But maybe that says something about us. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> it's, all those other movies. Doc Hollywood's trash and... Uh, I haven't seen good. Crawl, so I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Um, Crawl is good trash. It's got yeah. it's got Barry Pepperonsko yeah. in there. You got, you got Barry Pepper back. You got yeah. Barry Pepper. I haven't seen him in a while. Okay. Yeah. Well, those are some fun recommendations. Thanks, Travis. Eric, what about you? I know you got some goodies. I, you know, I got I to gotta be honest with you. I've just been watching Columbo nonstop every night. <laughs> After I get all my work done, I watch Columbo. But I will comment on some of those movies. Uh, do, uh, do jump down a rabbit hole and check out the similarities between Doc Hollywood and the Pixar film Cars. Uh, oh yeah, all the, <laughs> almost all the plot points are exactly the same. There's some some plug threads <laughs> online about that. Um, That's funny, but Doc Doc Hollywood is a grossly better movie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the Cars movies. Um, Peter Weir, where has Peter Weir been? He used to make some of the most <sighs> awesome movies I've ever seen. Gallipoli. The Truman yeah. Show, Fearless. I love Master and Commander yeah. with Russell Crowe. And yeah, Paul I love Master and Commander. I haven't, I haven't seen a Peter Weir movie since, so that's a great filmmaker I really miss. I think he's been um, acting more than directing lately again. I, I, is that right? I'm pretty Probably sure damn. he's always been an actor and a director. Hmm. Um, yeah, are you talking about Peter Berg or Peter Weir? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm thinking of Peter yeah. Berg. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of Peter Berg. Scott Peter Sanders. Berg churning out a lot of trash with Mark Wahlberg. One horrible movie after another. <laughs> but, yeah, historical uh, which, why didn't you know, Mark revisit. Wahlberg ever work? What, what, did you notice that Mark Wahlberg has never worked with PTA again? Like everybody else has, has like more, multiple, multiple movies, but not, not Wahlberg, not yeah. Sandler. And he shamed the movie because he's a, you know, he's a Christer. He loves Christianity. He's like, ah, you know, I wasn't really thinking yeah, when he's I did that. Of his penis. Now he's trying to, you know, yeah. Exactly. My rubber he's dong. To, he's trying afraid. to revisit his history. My rubber dong. Even though the movie helped his career explode. So whatever. Yeah. So my recommendation would be to revisit the 1970s series Columbo starting the great Peter Falk. <laughs> All right. That is Quite a coincidence, Eric, because is that what, that's I mys- what you're watching? I myself, the last week or so, it's just been nonstop Seinfeld. I've got the whole series. Oh, and wow. Just, it's been loaded up in my computer, and the episodes are just <laughs> flying by, man. I started like season, <laughs> I like to start at season three, I admit it. You know, season one, yeah, and two. Me too. Yeah, it's know? a little rough. Yeah. So yeah. I started season three, episode one, and now we're up to season seven. And I, they just fly, they're still so funny. I just love watching it. So. 
I just can't I binge right now. I, I can't binge watch TV. Like I can't do the same. I'll just, I'll just be glued to my couch for like 14 hours doing the same thing. I got to break it up. That's smart. No, that's very wise of you. I've, I've been watching a few, I haven't been there for 10 hours. I've been watching, you know, I'll watch like six, seven episodes for three, four hours and then I'll move on. But that's I have stuff to do in my TV mornings, screens. but once my mornings are over, I pretty much have nothing to do the rest of the day. So movie time. <laughs> Yeah, but I have a lot of movies I need to watch. I just, I haven't watched them yet. So I will make an effort, audience, of whoever you are, that uh, I'll watch some more movies this week. And next episode, I will have some updates for you. Some quarantine gifts. I have a question for you guys. Speaking of, uh, of what we're watching, should I or should I not, given everything that's going on, watch the 1994 miniseries, The Stand? Eric, that's all you, man. That's your department. No thoughts? Well, I, I think you should. I, I, in fact, I'm kind of uh, pissed at Netflix for just sh- like putting Outbreak on like every fucking screen and like Contagion. <laughs> I think that's super insensitive. But yeah. for a movie that's you know, you know, has that concept in mind and is also you know just entertainment, uh, escapist entertainment. Unlike Outbreak and Contagion, absolutely. See if it holds up, because I haven't seen it in like 20 years. Let us know. Yeah, I've been yeah. playing with the idea of watching it. just feels like, I don't know, I'm a delicate, I'm a delicate snowflake. You know, I melt very yeah. easily. So I wasn't yeah, sure. I don't know if, the, the I don't know if you should do that. I'm a little worried about. I don't think you should do that, but that's <laughs> Captain fine. Trips. As, Captain as your trips. friend and knowing you, and I do know what the stand it, is, w- what it's it about. It will increase oh. my anxiety. I think it will. But if you want to take that chance for the price <laughs> of entertainment, I, I don't admonish you for that at all, all right. well, no i think you should do it for that it. very reason i think it'll inc- increase your sagacity on the whole matter and especially you know yeah. being able to relate it to to real life uh i think could do you good uh yeah and you can share it with us next week is that you right. don't uh, to, well i might do that have to keep it bottled up you can say you know guys i watched it and it was a mistake and then you can <laughs> it's it. a terrible call <laughs> <laughs> and we're fucked I totally I'll forgot. I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. Please do. Please let us know. Travis, the people want to know what you're watching all week. They really it's do. It's very important information. I know they're very concerned. Yeah. By the way, Fuck I Mick totally... Garrison. I can't direct. Oh, there yeah. it is. I made a mistake. Uh, I totally forgot that we don't talk about the documentaries on the show, but that's actually what I was watching beyond Seinfeld. I'll watch Seinfeld downstairs. When it's bedtime, I've been going up to bed and watching Netflix and exclusively documentaries i watched like eight or ten of them last week so that's where my focus has been recently for some reason i'm just curious about real life stories and i wanted to mention one and it's the quincy jones documentary it's on netflix and it is quite impressive he is an amazing human being in terms of what he's done in his life uh his he stood up for civil rights his entire life he tells the story of what it's like to be oppressed and now be in a position of power and to give back and it's fun to see that it's fascinating to see that transformation. And at the same time, wow. all of the film scores, all of, he's done so many film scores, television scores, thriller, many other albums and composition. He trained in France in the 50s under a mm-hmm. legendary orchestration guru I didn't know about. So he, uh, and then he talks about just the pain, you know, of, of like what it was like growing up in Chicago in the early 30s on the South Side. And his mother had schizophrenia in a time when mental health was just non-existent. You know, you're just crazy and got locked up and, Rashida Jones uh, follows him around, so it's cool to have her like be his daughter and kind of be like, "Hey, Dad, what's going on?" Yeah, cool. I was gonna ask him. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I would strongly recommend it. It's very entertaining and useful, and not too uncomfortable at all. You learn a lot, and you come away feeling right. like uh, there's hope. So, 
That's fun. I'm wanting That's to good. see uh, American Factory. Have you guys seen that, Doc? Mm-hmm. No. Not yet. It's supposed to be no, pretty no. good. Yeah, I want to see do that documentaries. It's on my list. I don't do docs. Uh, Not really. <laughs> well, this has been like the Marvel movies, though. Pod, though. You love Marvel yeah. movies, but you don't like docs. <laughs> it's just a, right. We're not even going to touch that one. We'll leave that for now. But it has yes. been the Cinema 9 Podcast. That's what we're known as. We're really grateful that you've listened at all. Thank you so much for checking in. Share the podcast around. Cinema 9 Pod, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes. We're on all of these formats. If you're on the format listening to it now, give us a follow if you find the time. And this is a really, really quality gesture. If you give us a rating, a feedback, we would love oh, yeah. That helps us out. Maybe uh, maybe we'll be able to reach more people and connect on film. There's a lot of film podcasts out there, but we're doing our damn best. And we do enjoy doing it. This is just because we're not getting paid. We're doing this because we're friends. And we love talking about movies. Right, Eric? We have the balls to come out and say, look, I didn't really care for Magnolia last time I saw it. All right? Not a lot of podcasts will do that. <laughs> oh, that's well said. That's well said. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Travis, any final thoughts? No. Wash your hands. Beautiful. That's a great line to go out on. Wash your hands, everybody. This has been Cinema 9 Podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same podcast feed channel. Thanks for listening. Bye. No need for braces, Donnie.